Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy is entitled, The Immovable Soul. If someone offered us a life forever free of worry, anxiety, care, and concern, most of us would likely sigh dreamily and say, if only it were true. Well, for those hidden in Christ Jesus, who is called the Rock of Ages, why should we ever need to waver, fear, or become anxious? Please contact us at www.ellerslie.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The name of this message is the immovable soul. If you take the middle word out of that, you have the word immovable, which happens to rank up there as one of my favorite words. I'm very attracted to words, and immovable speaks something to my soul. Uh, some older translations of the Bible use the term unmovable, which I'm equally favorable towards, but I really like the more modern term immovable. I gave a message July 4th of 2010 called Immovable. So if you want to look up in the old archives of uh, Ellerslie, you can find that sermon. And it was a July 4th, and I made some bold statements in that message about the fact that when winds and rains beat against our house, those of us that are built upon the rock of God's word will not be moved. And so I think I made some declaration I will not be moved, you know, something like that. And that day, see, Colorado doesn't really get flash floods. It's not, not that it can't happen, but it's a very rare thing. But July 4th of 2010, when I made some declaration about winds and rains beating against my house and the fact that I will not be moved, we had a flash flood. In fact, it was such a flash flood that my window well, I remember the, the room that Harper was living in at the time, the window well filled up and was cascading through the window. This wasn't just a flood around the foundation where it sort of seeps in. This was a gusher. We had Niagara Falls coming in through our window well. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. So I went through this, and I began to realize the irony of what had happened, and that I had made some bold statements, and then we'd had a flood. And so I sort of recovered and stood my ground and said, I will not be moved. Ah, did you hear that? I will not be moved. So I got the guts up to give a message, it was, I don't know, a few weeks after that. And it was a Sunday morning, of course, and I referred back to the last time I mentioned uh, immovable. And I decided that I was going to make the bold statement again. I will not be moved. And so I reiterated the statement. That day we had a flash flood. <laughs> and our basement flooded. Uh, technically, I'm not exactly, I don't remember all the details of how all the floodings were because we've had so many varieties of floods uh, in this one-year period. Well, it was, a, I don't know, a couple months later, Eric got up the guts again to declare uh, that he will not be moved. And I referenced the previous two floods. And that day, we had just had our laundry room moved uh, to a different part of the house, and it was all set to go. But the I don't know what you call it, the, the discharge of the, uh, of the washing machine was laying on the floor. So Leslie had set up the wash and had set a, a load in there, and we had come to church. And uh, it had all drained out on our floor and drained through into the basement again. There's a third flood in our basement in a matter of a few months. And uh, Eric once again recognized the irony. I don't know if I'd call it irony anymore. I'd call it a very tactical thing that is taking place in my life. So in this year period, we had six floods in about a year stretch, okay? And it was all associated, all except maybe one, which was before this all happened, which was an internal issue. Uh, it was all associated with this message. Every time I'd get close to this message, we would have a flood. We had our uh, cord behind the, the refrigerator uh, that burst. One of those like Teflon cords just bursts and drains through into our basement, Another time. Uh, I, can you say bizarre? Yeah, that was exactly what it was. I remember this one time. It was the final flood we had. I was outside, and it was another flash flood. And I knew everything was cascading into my basement again. And I'm standing out there. I'm literally, it's a sheet of water that's coming down. I've never seen it. It was like I was standing under a, uh, a, a waterfall. That's how much water was coming down. I've never seen so much water in my life. We live in arid Colorado. What is this? I mean, I have obviously stirred something up here with this concept. And I remember standing, it's dark out, it was pitch black, I'm soaked, and I already know my basement is basically flooded. 
and I stand out there in the rain, and I make my... This is like a movie scene. I will not be moved! And I was able to laugh. I, I replaced my floor. This is, we're on the fourth replacement of our floor right now. This last one is purposeful because we're refinishing the basement uh, for some extra bedrooms. But can you say uh, bizarre? Yes. And who in their right mind would ever whip out a message to refer back to it? Actually, I've brought this message out quite a few times since and uh, no effect. Okay, I'm perfectly confident anyways. I'm not concerned. Right now, I have no flooring in my basement. This is a perfect time for a flood. <laughs> Charlie, who's helping me, is sort of like, uh, Eric, Eric, could we think this through? <laughs> the immovable soul. Fascinating scripture in Proverbs 30. There be four things. I, I'm not the one that came up with the grammar there. There be four things which are little upon the earth. But they are exceeding wise. Now, I didn't list all four. I listed one of those. But these are four things that are little upon the earth, but that are exceeding wise. Listen to what the, I think it's the second one in the list. The conies, which is a rock badger. The conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. What a strange statement. The conies, the rock badgers, are a feeble folk. You know that actually in the Hebrew... If you translate it, it's a feeble people or a weak people. You ever heard of a rock badger being called a people? It doesn't even make sense. This is a foreshadow of something. Those, there are four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. And if you skip forward to the New Testament, you understand when Jesus is talking about the wise man. This is a direct link. The conies, the weak things. Yet they are exceeding wise. Why? Though they are weak, they know where to build their house. And so when you understand Christianity, you understand the gospel, this is a brilliant statement. Because we build our house as Christians in the rock. When the soul dreams, it is. Now, this is a strange concept. I'm I'm basically saying, I'm sort of acting like your soul is separate from you, which you are your your soul. And so it's sort of a strange thing. Soul is like a mind, will, and emotions. So, but I'm imagining that a soul has a personality all of its own, and it goes to sleep at night and it dreams. When a soul dreams, there are certain dreams, I know this is you, this is us dreaming, but when the soul dreams, what would a soul be like in its dreams? You know how most of us, if we were to think, oh, I would be famous, I would be wealthy, I would be powerful, I would be beloved by all. You know, that, that's sort of our type of dreams, but I, I want to get past that. Past the original types of things that we default to in our flesh. To a deeper level. I was talking with a business owner in, in the coffee shop the other day. And I made mention uh, of, you know, we were talking about how stressful business can be. And, you know, having to cover your monthly overhead and try and squeeze out a profit. And I said, yeah, I know. I've had multiple businesses. And uh, I made a comment and I said, yeah. Uh, the anxiety-free life. And I just made a comment about it, and he said, wouldn't that be amazing? And then we sort of parted ways. And, I, you know, that's what leads to a message like this. It's like, yeah, that's right. The soul has a dream, but it doesn't believe it's possible. The anxiety-free life. And so let me go through this list. When the soul dreams, it is unshakable. It is immovable. It is undisturbable. I I made up some of these words, by the way. I don't know if undisturbable is actually a word. I think it got underlined in my word processing program, and I just ignored it. It's like, that's a good word. It's unfrettable. That one got underlined, too. But it's unfrettable. It's fearless. It's impervious to anxiety. It's untouchable. It's impenetrable. It's immune to foreboding. It's resistant to anxiety. It's indifferent to evil tidings. It's unruffled by criticism. It's heedless to false accusation. And it's oblivious to public opinion polls. You see, I just touched on some deep dreams that you've had in your life. However, you've never even considered it to be a possibility. Well, you can't actually have a life like that. Who told you that? What I just laid out for you is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ in person. This is him. And so let's keep going, because obviously, remember the first scripture I gave you in Proverbs? The conies, eh, they're a feeble folk, but they make their houses amidst the rocks. 
We, by the way, if you haven't figured this out yet, are a feeble folk. You see, one of the reasons that Christianity gets a bad name today is people do not like the fact that we poke at the reality that men and women are actually weak and that we are unable to save ourselves. It's like, how dare you criticize men and women? We have accomplished great things. Haven't you ever seen the Tower of Babel? You see, we want to declare that we can save ourselves. And yet, Christianity all hinges upon the fact that we say, I can't save myself, but I know one who has saved me. And we behold the cross. We behold the work of grace. And we say, that's what saves me. He is my salvation. That's that's how the soul works. But it doesn't translate well into a culture that is about me, me, my grandeur, my ability. And so I'm here to tell you right at the very beginning, we're a feeble folk. And the wise ones that are feeble build their houses amidst the rock. What I just mentioned to you, we're going to begin to discuss as rock. When the soul dreams, it dreams of a house in rocks. When it dreams, it actually has a vision of these things. It's like, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be amazing to have a business and to be struggling financially, but to be untouched and unruffled by any anxiety? Oh, too good to be true. You need to get to know Jesus Christ is what you need. You see, Jesus Christ lives differently than we do. He's called holy, which means other than. And when, as a believer, we build our house, we build our house in him. I know it says on a rock, but that's how we build on the rock. We build in him, in the rock. And as a result, we get the behavior of God as our protection. And then, well, before I skip along too, long, too far, I'm going to keep going here because I'm going to give too much of my message away. Are you built on a rock? Well, one of the ways that you can figure that out is when winds and rains touch you, how are you responding? It's a fascinating examination because most of us, when we think of winds and rains, we're thinking of maybe persecution. We're thinking of someone uh, actually harming us or someone calling us a fool because we're Christians. It's like, well, I will not be moved. And so we believe the word of God. And we're like, no, I believe that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is the king, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior. Well, that is part of what winds and rains can be. But how about when difficult times come, when your bank account gets low? How, how does your soul function? Do you collapse? I have whole years of my life when winds and rains would come, but I didn't associate them with the winds and rains in Scripture. And so as a result, I didn't recognize the discrepancy that I was collapsing. My house was falling every time a difficulty would come. This would happen, fear would rise. This would happen, anxiety would rise. And as a result, I wasn't strong to stand in the midst of storm. So let's ask ourselves. It doesn't mean do we know the rock. We could know that there's this nice cliff that some Christians in history past have built their house in. But that doesn't mean we're built there. We might esteem the cliff, but are we willing to allow our life to be built within it? To be framed in by God Almighty? Testing the foundation. Well, there's one way to test our foundation. I've gone through it. In other words, if you were to ask me, where did these winds and rains come from that were hitting the looty house? Well, we could say the devil. At the same time, I don't even mind speculating that it could have been God. Sort of saying, Eric, where do you stand? Do you trust me? Either way, I don't really care. If it came from the the devil, God will turn whatever the enemy means for evil into good. And if it came from God as a means of saying, Eric, I'm going to prove my man. Guess what? That's all I care about. He's testing my foundation saying, Eric, you're weak in this spot. Rise up and trust in me at a greater level. I don't care. Either way, I get stronger. Whether the enemy hits me or whether God tries me, I get stronger. really doesn't make any difference to me. Testing the foundation. Every single one of us in here, without even needing to compare notes, I know that you have challenges in your life. You're human. You exist. That's enough for me to know. You have challenges this day. We don't need to lay them all out before everyone and try and compare and compete and say, my life's so much more challenging than yours. You know that we are challenged at the level we are ready to be challenged? If you're a new skier, this is a Colorado illustration, 
If you're a new skier, you always start on the bunny hill or the green. The green is easy. And if you've been a skier for a long time, you sort of chuckle over greens. It's like, oh, you're skiing greens? Oh, sorry, sorry. I guess that's, everyone has to start somewhere. <laughs> However, if you remember when you first started skiing, greens were terrifying. When you first got on skis, I mean, these things that, like, move. You're like, whoa, whoa. I mean, you fall over. It's like, how do people do this? It's very impressive. When you get on a green, you see someone else jumping off things. Like, how do they do that? You acclimate to a green. And once you've acclimated to a green, guess what? It's not very impressive for you to still ski on greens. Okay, you move to the blues. And if you're on a blue, you know, you look at the greens, you're like, oh, that, that's easy. You know, it's easy to you now. Because you've acclimated to greens. But God has to test you. Well, in skiing, you have to be tested to get better. And so you move up to the blue. And guess what? You can still look at the blacks and go, how do they do that? But then you begin to acclimate to the blues and you start doing a blue-black. And then you do a black. And then you do a black diamond. Then you do a double black diamond. Then you're like cliff jumping, doing flips and, you know, diving out of uh, helicopters. Uh, Yeah. Uh, That's what we all do in Colorado. If you're visiting, that's that's just what we do. (laughs) But at every step, the next step is always uncomfortable. You could be jumping cliffs, but to jump out of a helicopter is a whole new thing. And so guess what? That next step is a test. It's a test of your inner stability, your inner courage, if you will. And so that's the way God grows us up. Testing the foundation. It's all right to have a little leakage. It's all right to realize that, whoa, my foundation needs to be stronger. It's one of the reasons God's testing us saying, you need to be built upon the rock. You're not. You're built upon sand here. You could have certain areas of your life, like three-quarters of your house is built on rock, and then you have this one little uh, extension of your house which is built on sand. God needs to prove that. He says, this is weak over here. Let's get rock underneath it. So here's our scripture, Matthew 7. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does, does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The winds and rains reveal. They reveal what's beneath your house. If your house collapses, and if you find yourself, you know, laying on the sides, you know, paralyzed, you know, in an anxiety attack, well, guess what? It's showing that your foundation is faulty. It's showing that you're leaning on sand. Sand is oftentimes rock that's broken up, and we take out the pieces we like, but there's certain pieces, you know, what we're not that excited about. Rock is taking God at his word. What he says goes. The nature of rock. So let's just study rock real quick here. The nature of rock. Look at God. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Rock does not alter. Rock does not shapeshift. Rock is set. And the illustration I've used for quite a few years is it's a rock up in in Estes Park at a place called Lily Lake. You walk up to the top of this hill, and there's this beautiful overlook spot. There's this huge rock up there. and We have tons of pictures on that spot. And if you look, you know, over the past 10 years, that rock has not changed one bit. And wouldn't it be strange for you if I said, yeah, that rock has completely changed since I first met it 10 years ago. You see, rocks don't change. There's no variableness in rocks. There's no shadow of turning in rocks. Rocks are rock-like. Therefore, that means that they are set. And that's why we term set in stone. Because stone doesn't alter. That means it's unalterable. So God likens his word to a rock. His nature is rock-like. He is who he says he is, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And so he's a rock. And so if you go back 100 years and you look at that same rock at the top of Lily Lake, none of us may have even been alive. And I said, may have been. I'm guessing I looked out at this audience, but I'm assuming none of us were alive. A hundred years ago, this is before any of us. And still, same rock. Didn't alter. How about we go back a thousand years? Surprisingly, same rock. It didn't alter. You see, rocks don't go from generation to generation and attempt to appease the climbers. 
and go, you know what, I really want to get, be, get climbed on in this generation. And so we study the generation and go, okay, what do you guys need in this generation? So it shape shifts and adapts and, you know, has a little outcropping here that someone can, you know, stick their, their Coca-Cola on. It's like, well, that'll be perfect for the modern generation. They're just the way they are. A rock is a rock. It doesn't alter. So is God. When you get to know God, one of my favorite things about God is he'll never change. Just like when I was teaching Hudson uh, addition, two plus two. And, uh, this is, he, he does know addition a little beyond this. But two plus two equals four. And I actually get excited. You know what that means? That means that once you learn that two plus two equals four, it will never, ever change. For all eternity, two plus two will equal four. Isn't that exciting? He sort of looks at me like, huh? Uh, But it is amazing. And God is the same way. When you get to know God, he doesn't alter. He doesn't change moods. He doesn't have a, a day that he's nice and a day that he's mean. He is always the same. Always. He is predictably the same. He's God. And so we are all over the map. But God is set. He is who he is. I am that I am, says God. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I'm calling this the nature of rock. Jesus Christ, the rock, the same yesterday and today and forever. The same way he was yesterday, way back in the beginning of creation. The same way he was with the Hebrew people uh, throughout the wandering years through Egypt, wilderness, promised land, through all the ages of kings, through the Babylonian captivity. Same God. He didn't alter. One of the number one things that's being invited into the church today is what's called that emergent movement or postmodernism. And what it basically says is the Bible is constantly changing. God is always changing. And so what you see in the Old Testament is the way he might have been back then, but he's evolved. He's changed He's shape-shifted to meet the needs of the modern generation. And I say that is completely bunk. First of all, it violates the Word of God. And they say, well, the Word of God is changing, so it's not violating it. It's just changed. The Word of God itself says it does not change. It is ridiculous. And it's undermining the very moorings of historic Christianity. No small thing. So we just talked about rock. Is this the nature of your soul? And this is a fascinating question. What we just said, as far as there is no variableness, there is no shadow of turning, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is this the statement of your soul? So I gave you a couple of scriptures. Can it be said of your soul that there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning inside of you? Well, where are you built? You see, when winds and rains hit you, how do you respond? Most of us, we adapt to our circumstances. If winds blow, we move. If waters fall, we get soaked. And our foundations begin to crumble. That's just the effects of water and wind upon houses, Eric. Not upon God's house. When God builds a house, it does not function as every house does. It functions as God's house functions. And so when you build God's way, you are not movable. You are stationary. You are set. And no matter what hits you, you do not budge. You do not take on the shape of that which hits you. You are not influenced by the barkings, the roarings, and the loud thunderings of the world around you. You are set. You don't adapt to appease the generation in which you live. You are fixed. Can it be said of your soul? My soul is the same yesterday and today and forever. Isn't that a fascinating question? In good times, same soul, same soul climate. If someone were to walk into your soul and go, oh, it's just really nice here. 70 degrees, clear skies, mountain scene and and, a little sunset over there. Oh, this is beautiful. Next time they come, it's just like a mess. You know, just disaster, like a hurricane came through, trees toppled over, and then you're like, yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm, yeah, there was a storm that came through. Yeah, but if a storm comes through a Christian soul, it doesn't alter the Christian soul. You have 70 degrees and sunny. Some of you are like, I I can't live with 70 degrees and sunny all the time, Eric. I don't know if I like this soul. I'm describing the soul I would prefer. 
I like 70 degrees and sunny. Some of you are like, I love the snow. Could we just have snow always? That could be your soul, okay? Just the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are built by God, and I'm still convinced that God is 70 degrees and sunny. Sunday. When I think of heaven, I do not think of three-foot snow drifts, okay? <laughs> Just to prepare you, uh, I love Colorado, but uh, I still have a, a thought there. There might be a mountain set aside where three feet can fall, and then we can go and ski on it. So that, that's a possibility. <laughs> can it be said of our soul, my soul is the same yesterday and today and forever? Because that's what's said of God. And where is your house built? Technically, it's built in God. What's your position? In Christ. If your position is in Christ, and this is the way he is, then why would you be different? Why would you fluctuate and go all over the place? God wants to stabilize you around his nature. Because his nature intends, he intends to invade your very being with his nature. The immovable soul, fixed, fastened, and firm. Psalm 112, 6 through 8. I love Psalm 112. I also love, I mean, I love all the Psalms. But Psalm 46 and Psalm 112 are the immovable uh, Psalms. Oh, they're good. Surely he shall not be moved forever. What a, I love that line. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. So let's just look at this in a a, a different way of looking at it. He shall not be moved forever. The righteous. The righteous. Well, who is the righteous? You could say, well, it's Jesus. And then we could distance ourselves from the scripture and go, well, praise God that it's Jesus. At least Jesus will not be moved. What's your position? So if that's Christ, you're in it. If he will not be moved forever, then if you're in him, you will not be moved forever. That's how you identify in Christ. You take your position in him. He shall not be moved forever. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trust in the Lord. The word fixed means to be fastened, stable, secured, firm, and resolute. His heart is established, which means to be braced, sustained, upheld, undergirded, and supported. He shall not be afraid. That's a soul's dream right there, isn't it? And that's what is described in Psalm 112 as the state of soul for the righteous. Now, Jesus is known as the righteous, the righteous branch. He is the righteousness of God. However, he clothes us with his righteousness, and we thusly, if we are in Christ, become the righteous. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of faith in him and his work, we inherit a foreign righteousness. The righteousness of God clothes us. And that is the promise. It's not the only scripture I'm going to whip out, by the way, but I'm setting you up. The gospel, when soul dreams come true. Doesn't that sound like a book I might write? I have a book called When Dreams Come True. So when soul dreams come true, that's like this fascinating sequel uh, to when dreams come true. So what I'm saying is the gospel is when soul dreams come true. And everything, in, in other words, everything that the soul is longing for, but doesn't ever vocalize, doesn't ever, ever actually say, because it's ridiculous to think of a life that is unmoved and unshakable and untouchable. Who would ever dream such a dream? Well, we're all dreaming it, but we live in a constant cynicism towards such a notion. That's not the way it works. Well, that's the way he works. And so the gospel is an invitation into such a dream. And it's called reality in Christ Jesus. So the gospel is broken up into two parts. Typically, historically, it's known as two baptisms. The word baptism means to be put in something, to be immersed in something. The first immersion or the first baptism is immersion in Christ Jesus. You must be in his clothing because you have no access under the throne room of grace. Under the holy, holy, holy presence of God, you must be perfectly righteous. If you have even the slightest blemish, you cannot enter his presence. And therefore, you will be eternally separated from his presence. So, the first baptism is a baptism into him. Into his clothing. But a new way of looking at this is it's a baptism 
into him as rock. It's entering the unshakable, immovable rock. That's the first stage, the first part of the gospel. You see, when we enter into Jesus Christ, then he brings us near to the Father. He actually sits down at the right hand of the Father, and we're in him. We are brought into the very holy of holy of holy places. And we are brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. That's what his righteousness does. It clothes us and brings us near. There's only one way to the Father, and that's in Christ Jesus. And so that's the way we get to the, to the Father. The only way to the Father, the only way truly to salvation and to eternal life is in Christ. And so when we enter into Christ, we have access unto the Father. Now what? What does the Father have to give? The Father has the very life of God to give. He has, it's called the Holy Spirit. The life of Jesus to give. And so the second part of the gospel is having the unshakable, immovable rock enter you. You don't just build a house in the rock, but then the rock builds his house within you. And suddenly you become not only clothed in rock as a mighty fortress, but then God establishes a fortress in you around your heart. And he builds his castle within you and sets up shop literally with his very spirit living within you. And so we're not removed from these statements. We are invited in to these statements, these promises. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. All of them. And immovability is one of the most precious. The triumphant Jesus is the rock, my strong rock, the rock of ages, the rock that is higher than I, my rock and my fortress, the rock of my strength. Now remember, what's your position? And Christ, the one you're in, is known as the rock, my strong rock, the rock of ages, the rock that is higher than I, the rock, my rock and my fortress, the rock of my strength, the rock of my refuge, a rock of habitation, means literally a rock that is a dwelling place, <laughs> the rock of my heart, the rock of my salvation, the rock and my rock and my redeemer, that spiritual rock. You see, the Bible isn't, doesn't just mention this once. It's a very clear construct in Scripture. A shadow from the heat, a stone, a living stone, a tried stone, a chief cornerstone, a precious stone. There's a scripture in Ezekiel 3 that I've mentioned in a different message called Legendary Stone. And it's a fascinating one to ponder because you know how we use the, the statement, I have a forehead like flint, which means I'm adamant about something. It means I'm unbudgeable. I will not change my mind. I have a forehead like flint. Okay, actually, in Ezekiel, it uses a term that goes beyond flint. And it says, as an adamant harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. This word in the Hebrew is extremely fascinating. For adamant. Have you ever heard the statement adamant? If I, if I were to define it, here's adamant. Doesn't that look like a nice definition from the dictionary right there? Look at the first definition, refusing to be persuaded or to change one's mind. That's what it means to be adamant about something. No, I will not hear your argument. I've already made up my mind. I'm adamant on that point. But the second definition of adamant, look at this, a legendary rock of marvelous quality and strength often thought to be diamond. Technically, it's also thought to be lodestone, which in my message called Legendary Stone, I go into more detail on that. However, I'm not going to take our time today and go into that. But it's a legendary rock of marvelous quality and strength, often thought to be diamond. Diamond throughout history is known as, here's the diamond, from the ancient Greek, Adamus. That's actually the word for diamond throughout history. The ancient Greek, Adamus. Diamond is the adamant stone. It is the unbending, unbreakable stone. So look at this. From the ancient Greek, Adamus, meaning unbreakable. Isn't that great? I love that word. That ranks up there with immovable. Unbreakable. That's what diamond is. Diamond is renowned as a material with superlative physical qualities. It has the highest hardness and thermal conductivity of any bulk material, and thus the perfect element with which to cut and polish tools. So you can cut anything with a diamond, but nothing can cut a diamond. 
A diamond is the hardest substance, so therefore it can cut anything. But nothing can cut through it except another diamond. So to cut a diamond, you need a diamond because it's the hardest of stones. You know, most of us, when we hear about God being a rock, what kind of rock do we think of? We think of granite, don't we? Think of a nice little just chunk of rock. It's like, yeah, we just need to build on that. You know that God is not some cheapo version of rock. (laughs) If you want to break it down, diamond might just be the only rock that we know of in our natural earth that can come close to describing who our God is. But when he builds Ezekiel, what does he stick in his forehead? He sticks Adamus there. He sticks diamond there. He sticks the unbreakable stone there. Who is the unbreakable stone? That's Jesus. So when he's a tried stone, a living stone, this is Jesus. He's a precious stone. If he's going to be rock, he's going to be the most precious rock. Not just granite. Granite's common. He's holy. He's other than. And so diamond probably doesn't even compare to what he actually is. He can probably slice through diamond as if it's soft butter. He is the rock of rocks. So let's just make it clear who we're entering into. We're not just entering into a fortress of granite. We're entering into a fortress of what we would understand as diamond. The impenetrable barrier. There is nothing that can cut through it. Nothing other than diamond itself. And diamond is not going to compete against diamond. God is not going to harm God. There's nothing that can cut through the barrier that we have in Jesus Christ. Diamond. It's called, I'm calling it the unbreakable, unshakable, undisturbable, unfreddable, fearless rock. There be four things, this is from our original scripture, there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The Christians, remember how in the beginning it said the conies, the rock badgers? I'm replacing that with the Christians, okay, for our sake to sort of wrap our mind around this. The Christians are but a feeble folk. Sorry to do that to us. It's just true. We're a feeble folk. I'm lumped in with us, okay? In other words, I'm saying that about me too. Feeble folk. The Christians are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the atomus. The unbreakable, unshakable, undisturbable, unfreddable, fearless rock. Yeah! I love that! The makings of the triumphant heart. Well, it's a heart that's hidden in the unbreakable rock. If you knew that you were hidden in the unbreakable rock and nothing could get through that rock to get to you, do you know that you would, ha, huh, you would actually have a peace that begins to fill your soul? You could call it tranquility because nothing can touch you. You are actually secure in him. You don't suddenly have the same stresses and worries and anxieties. There's no fear in Christ Jesus. None. Remember last week's message? We will not fear. It's precisely the basis of our life. Where are we located? There's no allowance for that. We are fixed in Christ Jesus, hidden in the unbreakable rock. Okay, I have a couple big words for you. This is a doozy of a word, but I, it, its meaning is so significant that I had to do it. Okay, and I had to give my little, this is a tough one to even say. You have to have a little Hebrew in it. Katais chuno. I still didn't do it very well. The, any Hebrew-speaking person in here is like, oh, katais chuno, katais chuno. See, I'm impressing some of you. Some of you are like, oh, good. Katais chuno. It means to be put to shame, to be disgraced, to have hope meet with failure. You know what most of us are concerned about? We're concerned about putting our trust in this God and then being put to shame. We're concerned about putting all of our weight and lean it against this God, and then he'll fall over on us. And he actually won't sustain us and support us. However, the promise in Scripture is this. No kuno. I needed the in there. No kuno. I'm not good at this. That's a hard noise to make. No kuno. That's the statement in Scripture. Never to be put to shame. Never to be disgraced. And never to have hope meet with failure. If you have hope that is founded upon the word of God, if it is based upon the promise of God's word, you will not be put to shame. 
That is a promise in Scripture, and our God cannot lie. As a result, you can hold on to that promise with a firm grip and know that there is no katas chuno in the Christian life. Zero! Not a bit of it! Not a scrap of it! Your confidence can rest surely in this rock that is higher than you. You put your confidence in him, and you will not be put to shame. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. But what's our word? Kataschuno. Those that believe in Christ will not be put to shame. Promise in the record. If you guys remember my, my message on the record, was that last week or was that the week before? You believe the record. When the record speaks, it means it. It is not the words of men, it is the words of God. It is purified. Seven times over in a furnace, there is no impurity and imperfection in it. It is wholly trustworthy. And God is making it very clear to your soul. You put your confidence in the record, in him, and you will not be put to shame. No katashuno. None of it. Never. Not a bit of it. You lean all your weight on God, and he will come through. That's what faith is built on. Here's another word for it. A little easier to pronounce. Moat. It's almost too short where it feels awkward. It can't be in the Bible if it's that short. Moat. This means to be moved, shaken, overthrown, or dislodged. What do you think the Bible says about that? Yeah, beware. Be watchful because the enemy can come in at any time and you can be moved, shaken, overthrown, or dislodged. I'm so sorry to leave you here in this earth helpless. No. He has not left us helpless. He has given us his son. He has given us the work of the cross and everything that is needed for us to build our habitation in the rock. Everything. Everything for life and godliness. Everything has been made available to us in Christ Jesus. Moat? No moat. Never to be moved. Never to be shaken. Never to be overthrown. Never to be dislodged. Where does your confidence lie? If you study your experience, if you study your Christian past, if you study the Christians around you, everyone's moved. Everyone's shaken. Everyone's disturbable. And I'm here to tell you Jesus isn't. And if you're fixed in him, you will not be moved. You will not be shaken. You will not be put to shame. That is the promise of our almighty God. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I shall not be mote. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. It won't happen. God will not allow it. If you are fixed in him, if you are the righteous, which means clothed in the rock, if you are in that rock, you will not be moved. No moat. No movement. No kataskuno. There is no shame. You will not be confounded. You are fixed to the unmovable. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I shall not be moat. Remember uh, my big declaration, July 4th, 2010? I will not be moved. Where do you think that came from? Right there. It's a declaration. I will not be moat. I will not be. And where does my confidence lie? In me? Is it because I have somehow, I'm holding a house up and I will not be moved? No, it's because I have confidence in the rock I'm built upon. That rock is unshakable and I'm fixed to it. That means I'm not going anywhere. Bring your best enemy. I'm not going. Not because of me, but because of what I'm built upon. It's impossible for me to be moved. Impossible. You can't move me because you can't move him. To move me, you'd have to move him. And since I'm in him and you can't move him, hey, I already know the logical conclusion to that one. 
I will not be moved. If the enemy can't get through Jesus, he can't get to you. Simple, logical statement that you can take out of the Bible. The enemy could not get Jesus to lust. The enemy could not get Jesus to fear. The enemy could not get Jesus to become arrogant and proud. He could not move him with greed. He tried. He was unbudgeable. He was immovable. He was fearless. He was everything that God is. And we have found refuge in that rock. We're the little rock badgers. Show our wisdom by believing the record and finding our habitation in him. In God is my salvation and my glory. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Say law. Ponder it. Think on it. Say law. Forever surrounded. Listen to this scripture. This is good. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. Let me read it again, just in case you missed it. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. Is God going somewhere? Is You know, the early church, they seem to have something in Christ, but I don't know, maybe God's changed. Remember this whole evolution thing? Maybe the church can rely on its own strength now. Maybe we can accomplish what they did back then in a different way. There's only one way to accomplish God things, and that's with God. The early church was powerful because God was living in it, through it. They were hidden in the rock. And though they were fed to beasts, thrown in prison, tortured... Burned on crosses. I mean, all, who, the massive amounts of things that came against them, their souls were in rock. And they were unbudgeable. They were untouchable. There was nothing the enemy could do to throw them off their game. They were adamant. Their foreheads had an adamant harder than flint. And there was no getting through it. They could not be crushed. They could not be bribed. They could not be burned. They were untouchable. It's called Christianity. It's believers built in adamant. We are in Christ Jesus. And as a result, the Lord is round about us from henceforth even forever. You know, there's no point in time where God's going to suddenly say, you know what? I better move back and retract. I need to let the enemy in now. He is always a barrier. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. From the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. That rock bearer, that refuge for your soul, for your heart, will never be taken away. It is permanent and fixed and resolute. Lord, open our eyes. One of the greatest challenges we have and one of the number one reasons we are moved, one of the number one reasons we are shaken, is because... We buy the enemy's bait and we believe the natural realm and its boastings. What the natural realm says is your God has forgotten you. Your God is not here for you. Where is he? I don't see him. Remember Jesus on the cross? If you are God, then prove it. Come down off that cross. However, there are times when God inside of you refuses to follow the bait of the enemy when they say, prove it, prove it. And he silences a lamb unto slaughter in you. And you are dying on a cross and God doesn't seem to be intervening you know what happened on that cross what looked as if it was defeat you know the greatest victory that's ever been marshaled in all the heavenlies was accomplished that day when what looked like defeat do not measure your confidence in God based on the natural realm you measure your confidence in God based on the record of scripture he promised and you will not be moved and even if you hang there and they're mocking you you do not move an inch Watch what my God will do. And even as you breathe your last, your last could be, watch what my God will do. Watch. Because after death comes resurrection life. Watch what my God will do. God's men and women are never defeated. They always win at every turn. Even though the enemy means something for evil against them, God leverages that and turns that. 
the work of faith in our life to stand unshakable and immovable actually does decimation and damage to the kingdom of darkness. This scripture, Lord, open our eyes. If we could see the heavenly realms, we would not be moved because we would see it. If we could see a barrier of diamond around us, then we would walk around with tremendous confidence. I mean, we would just have a swagger of the freshly anointed. It's like, well, yeah, I'm untouchable. However, we don't see it. And as a result, we doubt it. We walk in the natural instead of the supernatural. We walk with confidence in our experience in the world around us in the natural realm instead of confidence in what the Bible says. And I'm here to tell you the secret to Christianity is believing the record over anything in front of you. So let's go back in time. We have the days of Elisha, the prophet, the one who followed Elijah. And in the days of Elisha, the prophet, Israel was against Syria. Syria was their big enemy at the time. And Elisha kept having insight from God about where the Syrians were going to attack next. So even though Israel was embattled and weak, Elisha, in the midst of Israel, would say, the Syrians are going to come through this border, they're going to split up into three groups, and you can hit them here, and you can defend your territory. Even though they had hardly anyone, and Israel was weak, and Syria was strong, they kept being confounded. Syria kept being put to shame. They're trying to pounce and crush this little diddly squat nation that's dying and withering away. It's like, why can't we do it? And so the Syrian king got all of his counsel together, and he was mad. And he said, there's someone in this room that is leaking information to the Israelites. Every time we try and move in, they know exactly what we're doing. So, which one of you is it? I don't know who in their right mind is going to raise their hand to that. Oh, that was me. Here's their answer. There is a prophet in Israel known as Elisha. And Elisha knows what takes place in the king's bedroom at night. And so the king is like, what? This guy's spying on me? Another, yeah, spiritually spying, if you want to look at it that way. And so the king of Syria is upset and he has one agenda. Not destroy Israel, destroy Elisha. Because Elisha is the only thing that's standing between him and finally taking care of this diddly squat country. So now we enter into the story. Therefore the, he, the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there to where Elisha was. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, uh, my master, what shall we Gulp do. Okay, so you have Elisha, who you always picture as sort of one of those old guys uh, with the beard. You know, you're not intimidated by Elisha in the physical sense. Okay, if, if you were you know, going in hand-to-hand combat, you always want your opponent to look like Elisha. Because he looks decrepit and old. Now, I don't know. He could have been 30 years old. I don't actually know how old he was. But yeah, I think we like the older prophet look Okay, in our mind. So you can have the older prophet look in your mind. And then he has this young servant with him. And the young servant is looking at the natural realm, the same thing we do. What's he seen? He's seen horses and chariots. He's seen the army of Syria, which, by the way, is a lot more powerful than the army of Israel. But in this situation, there's not even an army of Israel standing between Elisha and the army. And they all want Elisha. How are you feeling right now, being surrounded by an army? Yeah. If there was ever a time to be moved, it's right now. And look at this. Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha's response is so startling and shocking because it's so opposite of ours. He is completely unmoved, unfazed. You see, he sees something that his servant isn't seeing. And what he's seeing is exactly what our eyes need to begin to see. And so he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, let's look at the scene. We have one, two. In mathematics, two is not greater than an army. However, Elisha is saying something that is fact. And that is, those do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. But if we look at the natural, what are we doing? We're the servant in this scene. We're quaking in our boots. Alas, my master, what are we going to do? 
Do not fear. Could you imagine that's your response? Do not fear. You're completely stable of soul. Completely sober-minded. You're able to look at the scene and say, no, do not fear. Those that are with us are greater than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What are you seeing? Where are your eyes focused? Are they focused on what the enemy is doing? Are they focused on what the enemy could do? What the enemy could be conspiring? What the enemy might be up to? The enemy's always up to no good. You can take that to the bank. But what's God up to? What is God saying? What has God promised? Lord, open our eyes that we would see. You know what you need to see today? You need to see the power of the rock barrier that you have found your habitation in. You need to know the unbreakable, unbudgeable, immovable nature of that rock that you have found your living space in. He is not going anywhere. He will not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You fix yourself in him and he is not moving. And though you be surrounded by the entire Syrian army, Lord, open our eyes that we would see the horses and chariots of fire that literally are all around in the mountains. Mountains full of them. Okay, let's just do some quick math on this. Satan, Lucifer, when he rebelled against God, took one-third of the angelic host. Okay, so mathematically, that means two-thirds remained with God. Is that safe to say? Okay. Two-thirds and one-third. Two-thirds are double one-third. You know that God has double the forces of the enemy? And to boot... He's God. He doesn't even need one of them. He has double. You want to look at things even reasonably. Why in the world are we fearing? Don't we know in whom we live and move and have our being? He's a rock. And he's an immovable rock. And he's a rock that is not concerned and fretting and putting his hands together and rubbing them in concern. And if we're in him, let's begin to take on his bearing, his attitude. When he looks out, he's a lot like Elisha. Do not fear. He looks down at us. Oh, little child, do not fear. Look, why not? There's a whole army. He says, because I'm with you. I surround you. They cannot touch you. We live in reality in Christ Jesus. And in reality, Jesus Christ is substantial. He actually has power. He has dominion. All things are under his feet. And it's the church of Jesus Christ that must rise up and prove it. We begin to put our confidence and our faith in the word of God as revealed. And we begin to live as if... It is, in fact, the truth. And guess what? All hell quails. All hell trembles. The number one thing hell doesn't want is for you to believe the record. For you to believe the word. Because it's faith in God that unlocks the power of God in our life. How are you saved? By faith. You are saved because you believe. It's grace that is released in and through your faith. It's faith that unlocks the indomitable, immovable substance of God in surrounding your life. No more fear. No more anxiety. No more concern and fretting over public opinion polls and what people think. We live in a constant state of confidence in our God. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. 
Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.